Doquan was just arrested Whew. in Montenegro, David. You excited about that? Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Bankless Nation, happy fourth Friday of March. David, what time is it? Oh, Ryan, it's the Bankless Friday weekly roll-up where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, especially this week is uh, absurdly crazy. Uh, I feel like I say that every single week, but it just keeps on getting crazier. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do today, cover the entire weekly news in crypto with coffee. Yes, and you have a, a new Vista behind you. Yes. Uh, where are you today? Yeah. You're not, you're not in your New York place. Oh, I'm very, very far away from New York. I am in the Dominican Republic. Nice. Hanging out with some uh, Pleaser DAO folk and other people around the crypto space. Yeah. Uh, tropical location. And you're right, yeah. man. There's, uh, there's so much to cover. I feel like the 2020s are just like this. Like every week is going mm -hmm. to be a little bit crazy. Um, that's how it's felt since uh, COVID, maybe before that. I don't know. Uh, but let's talk about what we're doing. We got some big topics of the week. Number one, the Arbitrum airdrop has now dropped. Did you claim it? We got a price. price. We, we got to talk about that. What else are we covering? Mm -hmm. Uh, both Balaji and Hayes, Arthur Hayes, are signaling wartime for crypto on different time frames, but both agree directionally that this is the big one. So we'll talk about what that means and also all the uh, people who think that they are both full of shit. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then on different front lines, uh, the SEC has issued a bunch of Wells notices and subpoenas. Uh, these are real facts, not just rumors this time. So we'll talk about all of those. Um, Interestingly, uh, Coinbase got a Wells notice, but Coinbase seems pretty ready for it. So is this the SEC's final push? Uh, and then breaking, we uh, Bankless broke this. You want to you talk about what Bankless broke, Ryan? Do Kwan was arrested in Montenegro. Bankless broke Do Kwan. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? He, he kind of broke himself after he broke Luna and Terra. Uh, and now he's been arrested, I guess. In, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll tell you where. We'll tell you mm -hmm. the location and the details when we get to it. Um, all right, David, before we get into it, this is a message for the devs listening to Bankless. If you are a developer, did you know for you amazing developers uh, out there, that there is now an NFT API that is being provided by Infura. Really cool new product from Infura. David, you want to tell them about it? Yeah, so if you are an NFT builder, this is for you. This is a new SDK kit that provides you the tools to write across five different blockchains. All the smart contract templates for ERC-721, 115 to allow you to aggregate your data across all the chains. So whether you are building something that mints NFTs, buys NFTs, sells NFTs, etc., uh, Infura has got this SDK to help your builder life get easier. Uh, so there is a link in the show notes for you to access all of that SDK information. You can register with Infura and then you'll be able to make an account and get that SDK. And builders, thank you for being a builder. Make this space yes, better. Uh, this is mm -hmm. definitely the, the build market, not the bear market. Uh, <laughs> speaking of markets, let's get to the Bitcoin price. Are we up on the week or down? Oh, we're up bigly on the week. Start of the week, $25,000. A very respectable wow. $25,000 is where we started. We are up 10%, Ryan. Ooh, over 10% since I put these numbers in. We are Wait. at $28,200. We were up last week too, right? Is this two oh, big we weeks are in a row? green. Very, very, two very green weeks for Bitcoin. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm zooming out on the Kraken charts here. Kraken Pro, of course. You know it. Thanks to Kraken for providing these fantastic charts. Uh, this is a, another big week, back to back, mm -hmm. two in a row. We'll talk about Bitcoin a lot because I feel like it's narrative season and Bitcoin mm -hmm. is in the spotlight. But before we get there, ETH price, what are we doing on the week? ETH price starting the week at $1,660. It was up 6% when I wrote these numbers down when it was $1,750, but we have just hit a very large green candle. We are all the way up to 18 
15. So, okay, this is a moment, (laughs) Bankless Nation, pull out your price checkers. (laughs) Check yourself. That's that's the actual price. (laughs) We are recording this at 11 Eastern time on Thursday. Yeah. So we are almost 12 hours behind you if you're listening to this Friday morning. So uh, right now for us, Ether price is 1818. For you guys, I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, we're like 24 (laughs) hours behind you guys probably. Uh Um, ETH Bitcoin, what about the ratio? That tells a story what in and of itself. What about the ratio? David, yeah. What about the ratio? Are you sad about this? Because I bet the ratio is, is it up or down from last week? It's down from last week. We are down 5% okay. on the ratio. So we are All down right. to the low, low price of 0.0645. We hit uh, almost as low as 0.062, which is uh, lower than it's been in a long time. Uh, uh, not lower than it was for the three hours capital liquidation. That was really low. Uh, but uh, it is pretty unequivocal that Bitcoin has won the last two weeks. Bitcoin smash. Hulk yeah. season for Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin smash. It's going to be okay smash. though, David. Like, are you are you oh, upset I, about this or is this just whatever noise to I you? Mean, like, do you think this I've been is- saying that, like this is a 18 plus long-term hold. So like the a two weeks of Bitcoin narrative season is not, I'm not, my reserve is not shook. Um, can we zoom out B- though, Bitcoin you know? ordinals does not change my thesis about, <laughs> about Ether. Uh, when in doubt, zoom out, David. How mm-hmm. far should we zoom out to uh, <laughs> to make these numbers uh, feel better for you? Should we go yeah, all the so, way back to 2021? Right. So on the far left of the screen, Ryan zoomed out all the way to 2020 when the Bitcoin ratio was down to 0.025, 0.03, Ooh. where we're o- over double that. And so that ever since brutal. this bull market, when Ether hit the went from 0.03 to 0.09 or so, uh, we haven't gone down below then. So you can see the three hours capital liquidation area uh, in July of, of 2021. Uh, so we are still at this like plateau, uh, but we are at a local low in the Ether uh, appreciation versus Bitcoin from the last bull market. Yeah. Do you remember this whole season here? Was this after DeFi summer where there was it was a huge Bitcoin mm-hmm. narrative? And the question was, did you even need Ether as an right. asset? You could just buy DeFi, DeFi tokens, tokens plus Bitcoin. Plus Bitcoin. You got right. the money and you got the, um, the, the finance systems and then you get full exposure to the market. That was the narrative. And that's what we were seeing over here. It's funny. You can get into that age old question of does price drive narrative or does narrative right. drive price? Mm-hmm. Which is like uh, the answer to that always to me has been yes. Uh, they drive each other. <laughs> and uh, so we're definitely in a good narrative season for for Bitcoin. Maybe we'll, right. we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, crypto market cap is up on the week, question mark? Uh, slightly up on the week. Yeah, we are at just below $1.2 trillion, $1.198 trillion. Okay, well, um, let's go over to Powell's world and the central bankers for just a minute. Um, we'll talk about more bank stuff later in the episode, but the Fed just hiked rates by a quarter. So they had a meeting on Wednesday. This was a much anticipated meeting. What are they going to do? The answer is they're going to hike rates by 0.25%. A little bit. So yeah, it's not the 50 basis points that Mm -hmm. some people said that they might do. um, Lower than that. And then they also signaled some things too. Um, The increases might stop soon. Jerome Powell said that the committee is considering pausing hikes because, this is his quote, Events in the banking system are likely to result in tighter credit conditions. That's a interesting phraseology. Events in the banking system. Uh, I'll say, yeah, a, a bank run might be considered an event <laughs> to Jerome crisis. Powell. An ev- uh, a crisis is an event. Yeah. That's yes. Right. <laughs> uh, Janet Yellen is also weighing in. She is, of course, Secretary of Treasury, of another important monetary uh, institution in the United States. She said that Treasury isn't even considering guaranteeing all bank deposits without congressional approval. So Mm. that's been a a question mark 
that um, uh, people have been asking about. So with with the bailout of, of some of these banks, the depositor bailout of you know Signature and Silicon Valley Bank, depositors made whole, does that mean de facto that the Treasury is going to guarantee all depositor accounts in every single bank? And Yellen says, uh, don't go that far. That would take an act of Congress. Right. My question Tamper to you, David. Expectations. We need well, Congress to give us the thumbs up on that one. My question to you, David, is like, um, do you think she means it? Or do you think it even matters? Do you think that by the time you need to go to request to Congress for something like this, mm-hmm. they're going to rubber stamp it anyway? What's your take right. here? Uh, so uh, the take here that I think is safe is that the powers that be, be it Congress, the FDIC, the Fed, are always going to aim on the side of mitigating pain. Um, the bank term funding program has this one year term on it, as in if that facility goes away after one year. Uh but is it really going to do that? Or are they just saying that because they want to tamper expectations? The best that they could tamper our expectations, the more that we are pushed towards normal market behaviors. But I think everyone is ready to call their bluff because ever since the 1933 Great Depression, the monetary policy and fiscal policy of the United States of America has been to mitigate pain, mitigate pain, mitigate pain. So I think it's safe to assume that they are going to make choices that mitigate pain, regardless of what they say. That program that you mentioned, uh, what's that called again? again? Say that again. Bank Term Funding Program. BTFP. You might be hearing that acronym a lot. BTFP. If it doesn't mean anything to you, I encourage you to go listen to the Arthur Hayes episode that Mm -hmm. uh, we published earlier this week was fantastic. David was doing it solo. I was busy. And uh, Hayes just gives kind of a run through and explains monetary policy. He explains this new acronym that I think you need to learn about. You need to know this. This is like the quantitative easing of uh, 2023. This is the big, um, like, I guess, stimulus. This is the big money printing event that is actually happening in the background quietly. And David said, um, I don't know if you actually said this, but like, it's um, they announced this last Sunday, I believe. The BTFP was this last Sunday? I don't know. Sometime in the last week or so, and they said it was only going to last for a, a year. People like Arthur Hayes are incredibly skeptical. They're like, yeah, no, right. they're going to do this, and they'll do it forever, uh, and it'll never. It will keep on getting renewed up to infinity. And anyway, he has a much better way of explaining all of the, these things. And the simple that, way to explain it is that, like, yeah. okay, the bank term funding program is meant to be used by banks. Banks yes. will therefore use it and settle into this new equilibrium that is created by the bank term funding program. Once the banks get accustomed to this program, undoing the program is hard, especially yes. when everyone is ready to call the bluff of like, yeah, one year, not if we use the F out of this new facility that you just created for us and lock yeah. ourselves into that new paradigm. And so unwinding the bank term funding program after people get, okay, what is the bank term funding program? All of the illiquid, underwater, long-term bonds that banks bought, they get to borrow against those bonds, even though the mark-to-market price is down 30%, 10%, whatever, down something bad, they get to borrow against those bonds at the full value of them at par at maturity. So they get to print free money, essentially. Uh, Unwinding this program after they have already engaged in this behavior is going to be hard and deflationary and cause pain, which is why we are going to assume, probably, it's safe, to think that they are just going to extend the term on this. So if fully used, the BTFP would print about another $4 trillion. This doesn't happen immediately. 4.4. 4.4 4. trillion. And we, and we it eased, we didn't print, well, we did print, we eased QE 4.1 
uh, trillion dollars in COVID, and the bank term funding program has 4.4 of available money issuance to so issue. So COVID, the largest money printing 2020 episode yeah. in U.S. history since World War II, we're going to uh-huh. do another COVID, it yeah. seems like. That's what the BTF Co- COVID plus another cherry on top, plus a little more. And then that's not even the end of it, uh, by the way. <laughs> you got to listen to the full episode on how we get from $4 trillion, $4.4 trillion, to potentially like something like $17 Infinity. Infinity. to $18 uh, trillion dollars yeah. of money uh-huh. printing if the next domino falls after this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a lot going on. We'll get more to the banking crisis uh, in a minute, but let's uh, talk about volatility while we're on the topic of markets. Banks down, coins up, volatility mm-hmm. up. What are we looking at? I think this chart really just tells a very different story. Without even understanding what each one of the, these lines are for the bank, for the podcast listeners, there's about mm, 10, 12, 15 lines on this screen. Uh, they're all going horizontal and to the right. And then the crisis happens, the banking crisis happens. Some lines go up and to the right. Some lines go down and to the right. Uh, the theme here is the ones that went down and to the right are all banks. The ones that went up and to the right are crypto assets and volatility. And I think maybe there's also a Chinese bank in here, Chinese banks up and to the right. I, I could be mixing up my charts. But basically, the summation of this chart is that Bitcoin and crypto assets are up. Bankless is up, if we want to use our own terminology for this. Uh, bank Banklessness is up. Banks are down. And also volatility is up. Yeah. Bank, banks are so 2020. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's like, this is incredible. This is the bifurcation, right? Bankless assets up, mm-hmm. volatility also up because things are crazy. Bank bank stocks go down. Um, that's all part of the story too that we, we've been talking about. Uh, this is a take that mm-hmm. um, you tweeted out, which has been sort of um, a theme of our episodes this week. Mm-hmm. And it's not the, the conclusion of the theme, but I think it's definitely been a theme of the past you know two or three episodes that we did. Bitcoin in times of war, Ethereum in times of peace, who tweeted that out? David Hoffman. What? <laughs> Bitcoin uh, or ETH Maxwell has David Hoffman tweeted this out? Is that is that really what happened, David? This is not the first time I've given out this take. This is a take that I've had in my back pocket for a very long time. Uh, and now this is a, a moment where the market kind of understands it a, l- a little bit better. Um, Bitcoin, the philosophy, the design philosophy of Bitcoin is reduce, 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 reduce the code, make it more simple, make it more invisible, make it harder to track, make it more self-sovereign, remove all utility from it because it needs to do one thing, which is hold your store of value. It has this wartime crisis moment mentality in the design philosophy of Bitcoin. Uh, the whole idea, even if you could add in extra features, NFT features, and this is why some so sometimes the ordinals have triggered people. If you could add in DeFi features, that would be extra baggage, extra surface area. If you added NFT features, smart contracts, it would be extra baggage that would make Bitcoin less suitable to times of crisis. And so what does Bitcoin do? It does one thing, which is store your money in a way that's outside of the system. Adding in extra features in the Bitcoin philosophy is making it harder to use in a wartime crisis moment. And so during times of peace, all of these layer two, smart contracts, uh, account abstraction, NFTs, DeFi, NFT-Fi, identity, these are all innovations that happen during peacetime uh, when times are stable and we can invest in innovation and progress and development. Uh, and there's a pendulum in humanity between peace and war. Uh, and so the claim here is that the philosophical design of Ethereum is suited to peacetime. And the philosophical design of Bitcoin is suited to war. Uh, Bankless is known, at least me and Ryan, not not the analysts uh, of the newsletter, but the, at least me and Ryan are known to be 
uh, Ethereum biased. Um, some might say Ethereum maxis. I think, Brian, you and I are all disposed towards peacetime growth and innovation. Other people are disposed towards, let's make sure that Bitcoin does the thing that it needs to do in the worst possible moments of time, in crisis moments. Uh, and that's not necessarily our disposition, but I think that is a valid disposition. And as the pendulum of the world shifts from peacetime innovation to crisis, capital controls, uh, uh, restrictions, uh, fiat inflation, uh, fiat demise, like all of a sudden that pendulum shifts into wartime. And that is my, I remember last week, Ryan, we were talking about, I said like, I don't know why the Bitcoin ratio is, is versus ether is up so big. This is my, this is my answer for that. Uh, we have shifting from peacetime into crisis time and Bitcoin, the narratives of Bitcoin, whether or not they're legitimate in the foundations, the narratives in wartime benefit Bitcoin. And that is my take. Do you want my take on your take? Uh, uh sure. <laughs> so there are elements of that that I agree with, but I think that the last part of what you said is like mm -hmm. what uh, I agree with most and the rest, um, I don't um, probably. So I think that there is a difference between um, product market fit and narrative market fit, right? Product market fit is does the thing do what it's supposed to do and provide like actual utility for what it promises, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's one component of it, you know, um, Everyone always talks about product market fit when you're a startup and technology is the same. Does it have product market fit? Like uh, iPhones had fantastic product market fit, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, you know, some other products that we thought were going to be revolutionary never, never had product market fit. And then there is something else, which is narrative market fit, mm -hmm. which is like, is this, are we at the point in the storyline of humanity where this narrative is going to um, specifically have a moment, whether mm -hmm. this is narrative is specifically going to land. I think Bitcoin has incredible narrative market fit for this moment in time. I think that's but exactly I actually that. but I actually think Ethereum has better product market fit for <laughs> actual wartime. All right? right. So so right. like if you talk about proof of stake, I would 100% argue that having um thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of decentralized validators around the world that can run validators from their own homes, locations, wherever they have an internet connection. In is much more large-scale mining operations yes, that can be bombed and seized. It is much more censorship resistant in times of war than something like uh, proof of work, for example. Um, I think that uh, Ethereum provides not only the, like the verb of transact, which Bitcoin provides in a censorship resistant way, but it also provides the verb of trade. Like how do I trade Bitcoin for some other asset that I want without going to a centralized custodian? The answer is I can't. With Ethereum, we have Uniswap, we have decentralized protocols. So like both Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin are bankless, but mm -hmm. Ethereum provides more money verbs, more bankless things that you can do, and therefore is a better system in times of war. But Here's the difference. It has not captured that narrative at freaking all. Yes, and then correct. the culture of Ethereum, I agree with you here totally, does not um, lean into that. Right. You, no, you we, don't we find have that, unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Bitcoin, you, Bitcoiners are gun people. Exactly. They're, they're like the, um, you know, the 
doomerism like like let's <laughs> quick let's grab all of the bitcoin we can because the world's going to end and there's right. only 21 million and then we'll get kind of these uh you know underground bunkers and you know like ethereum there's a culture pretty popular is just not bitcoin that at all podcast out there called bitcoin and guns you know that <laughs> is one? it really yeah no. uh-huh. <laughs> so so um anyway I, what i would say is that um what I think we are seeing is also a narrative trade. We've seen narrative mm-hmm. trades in the past, David. Like, remember when there was narrative market fit for scalability mm-hmm. on uh, crypto networks because Ethereum gas fees were way too high? You got all of these chains that pumped on narrative market fit, not necessarily product market fit. Now, I will say narratives can feed product market fit, mm-hmm. especially for a meme energy asset like a monetary asset. And so that is another wrinkle in this where if enough people believe Bitcoin is money, then it becomes money and then it, you know, reaches greater product market fit. Uh, but yeah, that that is the subtlety. I actually think Ethereum is um, better in right. times of war from a practical product perspective than Bitcoin. It just doesn't have the narrative at all for that. I think if I said that that Ethereum isn't meant for war, Justin Drake would like roll in his grave. Not that, yeah, not that I know he's you dead, would. But he's like, no, because <laughs> they, we have so all of these like cryptography tailwinds to protect Ethereum. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe there's an episode out there that is like the Ethereum case for wartime. Just to, just to tie off this last bit of conversation, we can move on. Uh, Bitcoin, born in the banking crisis, born in the 2008 financial crisis. Now we have another banking crisis. Imagine there's still more capital outside of crypto, outside of Bitcoin than there is inside of it. And all of the TradFi wealth managers, who I will perhaps unfairly claim are 100 IQ middle curve uh, money managers. They're doing the thing they were taught in school, basically. Exactly. Right. And so they're they're going to like think about this banking crisis and they are going to consider alternatives because that's what Arthur Hayes, Bollinger you're saying is like, you must consider alternatives now. And so they're going to think in their brain, Banking crisis, Bitcoin. It yeah. even is an alliteration, right? Yeah. Which actually does <laughs> sound better. It sounds better. And so, just like Bitcoin, the, not banks. That's yeah, great. Bitcoin, not banks. Like, oh, there's this is oh, this is what Bitcoin is for. Even Bitcoin, I think it's a lot of tailwinds be, because it's more of an idea than it is actually an execution. Yeah. Like Bitcoin is a grandiose idea for what it oh, is. Oh yeah. yeah. People yeah. associate all of the features of crypto into Bitcoin, sometimes naively before they unlearn about the actual fundamentals of, of Bitcoin. But for the people who are on the outside who un- just understand that crypto exists to the best of their ability, they're thinking bank crisis, question mark, Bitcoin. And that's all they have to think. There you go. And uh, by the way, if, if you're listening, uh, but neither David nor myself consider ourselves a maximalist, Ethereum maximalist. Yes. If anything, we are bankless maximalists, decentralization mm-hmm. maximalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm happy to the extent Bitcoin remains bankless, which it is, mm-hmm. to uh, support Bitcoin in all sorts of ways. Okay, the crypto VC list. Moving on. Uh, this was really cool. He- here's a uh, VC list from 2020. The top 300 global crypto VC firms by fund size and investment activity. Ryan Alice has been a guest on the podcast previously. His firm, uh, Coinstack, put this out. I wanted to highlight one thing. Okay, here's a quote from uh, the the report, really. Even as the, the the bear market is here at the moment, there's three times as much capital going around as last time. The digital assets industry is maturing. And we're seeing much more institutional capital stick around this time. This is a big deal. Okay, in the 2019 bear, there was about $470 million going from VC into like building crypto projects and crypto infrastructure. In this bear market, 
the uh, 20, late 2022 and 2023 market, there is $1.5 billion, a nice little 3X on that. That is so, like the money that is going to build and invest in future crypto startups has never been higher and uh, continues to flood in. That was the big finding of this report and I think is super bullish. We've called this um, the build market, not the bear mm -hmm. market. And like the capital inflows are reflecting that as well. Um, there's also uh, bankless listeners, a link in the show notes if you want to see uh, who is moving the most money. Like it goes through, uh, you know, A16Z all the way to like Galaxy Interactive, all of the largest uh, crypto VC uh, funds. And I, I found that data really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, anything on that, David, before we move on? Yeah, uh, we've we've talked. I've gone back and forth. I was like, man, this bear market is not so bad to. Oh, my God, this bear market is so bad at least in terms of capital flows into people's salaries to allow them to maintain to work in crypto during this bear market, that has been uh, better than it's ever been. So, wow, yeah. we've, we've still had the FTX, we've still had the Alamedas and, and the Three Rose Capital and the Doquans. Um, at least we are still paying people's salaries. <laughs> That's right. And look, we needed to cool down anyway. It was getting yeah. out of hand. So, oh God, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I feel like mm -hmm. it's much healthier. David, what do we have coming up next? Oh my God, we get to talk about the Arbitrum airdrop. Uh, the price has been, I've been watching the price, it's been jumping all around. So we're going to talk about what price is the ARB token? Uh, well, just a few hours later, uh, Bankless listener, you're going to have more information about yeah. the price than we will, I guess. So this is a time to pull up the ARB price and you can tell us. Um, but in addition to that, Coinbase and SushiSwap has received a Wells notice. Uh, SushiSwap received a subpoena. Uh, Credit Suisse, we're going to talk about the collapse of Credit Suisse and the banking crisis that has hit Europe. And we also have an Euler hack update. Uh, it's good news, <laughs> we think. So we'll talk about that and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially... Doquan was just arrested Whew! in Montenegro, David. You excited about that? Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Um, we don't have much information at the time of recording, mm -hmm. but uh, we did find this out in Montenegro. This is a, a translation, I believe. Montenegrin police have detained a person suspected of being one of the most wanted fugitives. Most wanted? Wow. <laughs> South Korean citizen Do Kwon, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based Terraform Labs. The former cryptocurrency king, <laughs> is that what he was? who is behind losses of more than $40 billion, was detained at the airport with falsified documents and South Korea, the US, and Singapore are demanding the same. Wow. Demanding the return of Do Kwon. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, we actually broke this news. Uh, I think we, we? we were the first ones on Twitter to actually break this. Uh, so yeah, Do Kwon arrested, falsified documents. Uh, interestingly enough, if you go back in time to Do Kwon's tweet back in September of 2022, one of my favorite quotes now of all time uh, out of Do Kwon is, uh, it's not like I'm on the run or anything. He said but then, this. But then Do Kwon, tell me, how, why, how do you have falsified documents in Montenegro? <gasps> Interesting. Hey, look at this tweet. Uh, September 17th. <laughs> I am not on the run or anything similar from any government agency that has shown interest to communicate. We are in full cooperation. We don't have anything to hide. Wow. Um, um. Falsified passport seems like you might be on the run, Doe. Uh, so I'm going to grave dance a little bit. My first interaction of Do Kwan was telling him that I don't believe him, that he was going to kill, die the stable coin. Uh, here's Nick Kunkel, a friend of mine who uh, used to work at Maker, goes, how it started, retweeting Do Kwan's, by my hand, die will die, and how it's going, breaking. Do Kwan arrested in Montenegro. And that's a, that's a wrap on that story. Moving on. Arbitrum, they uh, announced a token, and they launched the token. 
Ooh, yesterday. We like tokens. We uh, like tokens. At the time, the time of recording yesterday. So um, this just launched now. I think we have some pricing information, but can you recap folks on the high level? What, uh, what about the ARB token drop? It's finally mm -hmm. here. What do we got? What are the stats? What are the big ones? Okay, 12.75% of the Arbitrum token will be airdropped to users of Arbitrum yesterday, today for me and Ryan. Uh, this is the inaugural launch of the DAO governance of Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova, featuring on-chain governance execution, not just snapshot votes. Uh, I think the maximum airdrop that you could get was 10,250. The minimum was 620, 625. I think the vast majority of people got somewhere below 1,000 Arbitrum tokens. And the, of course, the long tail approaches all the way to 10,025. Um, and interestingly enough, the details for there is this extra 1 point something percent that was airdropped to DAOs on top of Arbitrum. Uh, the biggest DAOs that got the DAO airdrop were the Treasure DAO ecosystem, the Small Brains ecosystem, as well as GMX, uh, the, the leverage trading per exchange on Arbitrum. Uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap got an allocation. Dopex and Curve got an allocation. And shout out to the Arbitrum team that elected to do this. Protocol Guild got a large distribution, I think 3 million? Yeah, 3 million ARB tokens. Uh, what does Protocol public Guild do? Public goods for Ethereum core developers. Core development of Ethereum fundamentally does not have a business model, so they rely on grants and donations and the United and the EF. Uh, and so uh, Protocol Guild is a place where people can uh, donate money to to pay for the core development of the Ethereum protocol. And Arbitrum, as a part of their airdrop, allocated 3 million ARB tokens to the Protocol Guild. That is a great precedent to set, and I'm a big fan of this. I think one of the coolest things about this, David, is that uh, the wallet addresses, the number of wallet addresses that received this and were eligible for this, 600,000. That's like the population of a fairly large-sized U.S. city. That's a mm. lot of people that, that were eligible for this airdrop. Why, why is that? Uh, that's a really large number. That I don't know how many people there are in DeFi, but that... We all know the Arbitrum airdrop was at least attempted to be farmed. We all know that they also tried to prune to the best of their ability airdrop farmers. The 600,000 number, my gut reflex on that one is like, that's a farmed number. I don't think it... So my, my take is, even if it's like um, like 4x farmed or 5x farmed, we're still talking about like, got at the low end, 100,000, 150,000. Like it's a pretty well distributed airdrop, and some people had you know multiple wallets for sure. I don't know how well we can know that. I guess you I think, can. I think but... we need somebody to do who is like an on-chain analysis expert. We we need some somebody to come in and, and do a report on. Well, that. You know that I am excited about it because this is one of the larger airdrops in history in terms of that distribution of addresses. It's probably like uh, Uniswap, ENS, and this would be probably a number three. I want to say. In terms of, I think in terms of dollar value, this is by far number one. Yeah, but also in terms of like the number of people who received it. Can you think of another one? Mm -hmm. Like whatever the number is, you know, mm -hmm. that we just... Uniswap there, got uh, 247,000 addresses. And that was probably ENS like... really close to that. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to check to see if you received the Arbitrum airdrop, I recommend you go check out Earnify. This is earni.fi. Uh, you can type in your ETH address. You can type in ETH addresses to multiple wallets mm -hmm. and see whether you are eligible or not. I've got my wallet pulled up here. It looks like I got some some Arbitrum tokens here, $4,230 worth. I can't wait to talk to you about price, David, because I think that that means some good things. 
but this Congrats is my way the, to get uh, tax liability, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. This is uh, this is my way to get notified of airdrop, so I don't even have to think about it. Just put of my dresses tax in. Burdens. Yeah, yeah. Was, all the yeah. tax burdens that yes. come inbound. <laughs> you owe uh, the IRS one message. <laughs> yeah, so go check that out, guys. And uh, speaking of price, though, what is the Arbitrum token trading at right now? One dollar and seventeen cents. Ignore that down seventy six percent. That's because the inception of liquidity is always completely arbitrary. So we are trading at a fully diluted valuation. If you scroll up, Ryan, I can read that number of basically twelve billion dollars. Uh, what was my price prediction last week? Uh, last year is uh, last year. Last week, I think it was between one and two dollars. One and two. Wide, pretty wide range. The, um, the obvious comparison is optimism here, right? Which right. is what and so it is. It is one billion dollars more than optimism. So eleven billion versus twelve billion. Not even actually. It's like eight hundred million dollars higher than than optimism. Um, um, look, this we is are just in such early days of yeah. price discovery for Arbitrum. Yeah, this is just. Uh, we are like three hours into this. Four hours. You into know, this? there are very big funds who got an airdrop, which means they are not allocated exposed to Arbitrum who have not deployed capital. Uh, and so if, if there are big funds who want exposure, like they probably haven't bought yet. I'm yeah. it's just an extrapolation. Just an, yeah. There's also investors that will have to sell at some point, but that doesn't start for a year. That's actually, we, we can talk about that. Uh, if you are an Arbitrum investor, you are locked up for four years. There is a one year cliff. What does that mean? You get zero tokens for the next 12 months. Then at 12 months, 25% of the total supply unlocks for investors. And then every month after that, a linear uh, amount of unlocks for the remainder of four years. So that is the Arbitrum investor token supply. Um, I'm not an investor. Uh, I just know that because we did the show with the Arbitrum team and that's what they said. There, uh, there's a question I have for you though is, so you got some airdrop tokens. What are you going to huh? do with them? Buy, sell, oh. hold? Buy more, sell, brother. Hold. You're selling the Arbitrum airdrop in the middle of a bear market. One of the major layer twos. You're gonna sell that thing in the in the in the bear market. Like, what are you doing? No, that is what I am doing, and not financial advice of any sort in time. But today is not unless you unless you need to like glow up your life, right? Unless you glow have your bills life bills to pay. Unless you have any reason to do anything about improving your own life, which is a fantastic thing to do with any airdrop because this is free money, and like maybe perhaps you should do that. But but uh, if you don't have to do that, I am holding that shit so hard. Excuse my language. <laughs> that is not the only option, though. Like you, it, you could glow up your life, of course, but you could also just exchange it for ETH. If you think Ether is going to appreciate relative to ARB tokens. Yeah, uh, if you do think that, uh, layer, but Ether, the just platform of Ethereum, depends on layer twos. And so it's actually like, it's not like this is an application where an application on Ethereum can come and go. Like layer twos and Ethereum need each other. And so this is a more formal relationship with Ethereum. So I'm not going to lump this into like a one inch airdrop or perhaps even an ENS airdrop. Like this is a more formal relationship with Ethereum. I'll go back to our old analogy is like, uh, Ethereum is like the federal government and Arbitrum mm -hmm. is like a, a state in the, mm -hmm. in the union, if you will. So uh -huh. this is like a bet on California or something. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, the Fed and California are pretty tied together. They're very mm -hmm. interlinked economically yeah. in all Ethereum sorts of ways. Ethereum is like Jupiter and Arbitrum is like one of its moons, you know? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, mixed analogies here, but uh, this is not a mixed message, like that transition, from the SEC. They're coming <laughs> after crypto in a big way. It seems like 
Today, Coinbase received a Wells notice from the SEC focused on staking and asset listings. This is from Brian Armstrong. And a Wells notice is basically a notice that the SEC is going to take enforcement action against you and your company at some point in time. I am calling this, and I called this on Twitter, a war on crypto. David, Mm -hmm. some people were triggered by that. War on crypto. He's being hyperbolic. Uh, Anthroposynthesis <laughs> said this, please stop. Um, here's my comment. I just want to defend why I think this is a war on crypto. This is not the only action that we've seen coming of out not. of the U.S. government. This is part of Operation Chokepoint, part of you know, choking off uh, Silvergate, part of maybe some action in Silver uh, Signature Bank, um, part of this whole plan, it seems like, to choke the entrance and the exits to crypto. And so my reply is this, no. This is, I'm not going to stop. Enough is enough. It's absolutely ridiculous that the SEC is ruling by enforcement. Gary Gensler isn't Emperor King. We need to speak out. We need to organize. We need to push back. Unelected bureaucrats don't get to make the rules. And the reason I care, David, is because I live here. I live in this country. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, cannot, this cannot stand. Uh, anyway, could you get into more details on what exactly the SEC is, is alleging here and what they're trying to do with Coinbase staking? Uh, I really wish I could, Ryan, but that's one of the issues is that they're not giving Coinbase, the people that they are serving the Wells Notice, any of the details. And that's one of the big parts of this story. A Wells Notice is actually meant to be delivered in good faith to the company or organization that the SEC is about to sue to inform them of the reasons that they are about to sue them. Uh, The reasons that that SEC stated to Coinbase is that they have securities on their exchange and also staking. Their staking product is a security. Uh, and so Coinbase in response was like, which assets are they? Hmm. Which, which ones are the securities? And, Coin- and they've got no response from the SEC, uh, so, which is totally asynchronous from what a typical Wells Notice is supposed to provide, which is clarity and, and rationale and reasonings so that the, that the, the people that they're about to sue can actually like like prepare for an argument. It's like actually a good faith extension, but not this kind. Um, Brian, Brian Armstrong put out a Twitter thread where he said, two years ago, the SEC reviewed our business in detail and approved Coinbase to go public. Coinbase runs a rigorous asset review process and has rejected more than 90% of assets. Although I will say they have some, let some weird assets in as well. Uh, going forward, the legal process will provide a public forum before an unbiased body where we'll be able to make it clear clear that the SEC simply has not been fair, reasonable, or even demonstrated seriousness of purpose when it comes to engagement on digital assets. So Brian Armstrong saying, uh, we've been in compliance. We are compliant. We've always wanted to be compliant. The SEC said that we were compliant when we, we were have SEC to go filings. They, they went public. Mm-hmm. They have S1 filings. Right. And then the SEC comes in and says, hey, we're going to sue you guys. Here's your Wells notice. And then the, SEC, and the Coinbase is like, why? Yeah. Because you guys said this was okay a while ago, but the now ru- you're saying it's not. The rules have changed. We're not going to tell yeah. you how they also, changed Also, which rules why. have changed and how have they changed? <laughs> we didn't and have rules before. And then the SEC before. is like, like oh, we're not going to tell you guys that. Yeah, we don't have to tell you guys. This <laughs> is uh, Coinbase legal. Coinbase received a Wells notice from the SEC after years of asking for reasonable crypto rules we're disappointed that the SEC is considering courts over constructive dialogue. Courts over constructive dialogue. But this is some of the fight here. But if courts are required, so be it. We'll defend the rule of a law. Wow, this is uh, Coinbase's, I believe, chief legal officer yeah. here yeah. saying that they're going to go to court. Okay, you throw him down. By the way, we just had uh, Brian on the podcast, and this is what he said. We asked him specifically about staking. And we're like, hey, Brian, you know, Kraken staking has been uh, banned in, in the U.S., 
what do you think the fate is for coin, uh, Coinbase staking? He was like, well, it's you know different uh, because of X, Y, Z. And also, if they come after us, we're going to fight them in the court system. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be the approach. Okay, game on, SEC. Yeah. We've got evidence. Here is uh, Paul talking more. Over the past nine months, Coinbase has met with the SEC more than 30 times, sharing Select details number. of our business and to build a path to, to registration. This is like the kid in the front of the class, the straight A student who's like abiding by all of the rules that they know mm-hmm. about. And like the teacher comes in and just like rips up their homework and is like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't, the kid. Yeah. I just don't understand, um, you know, why this is happening other than, again, we had Hester Purse on earlier this week. And uh, she said explicitly that this is about a land grab for the SEC. And Gary Gensler in particular, I use that name. She didn't use his name. But uh, Gary Gensler in particular, trying to get um, land in mm-hmm. the sphere of crypto. I think, it's, yeah. I think it's that. And also, David, I think this is part of a broader war on crypto, right? If you like just um, rule by enforcement and you don't provide any clarity, what else, like, what else are we to assume? Right. You know? Banks are getting choked off. Coinbase staking getting choked off. They're trying to do all the right things. They don't even know what the laws are, so they can't even abide. Now they're getting choked off. This is a war on crypto, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I actually think that this is bullish, believe it or not. Well, uh, I actually don't know if Coinbase stock went down or not. Uh, I didn't it went down. That. It went down. 8% down yeah. after hours, but I don't know what it is now. Who knows? Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. because a bunch of TradFi people uh, own it, and they're probably not like exposed. God, I'm so mean to TradFi people. I apologize. Well, like, um, it is bad in the short run, right? It means sure, like in the short run, right? Okay. But like, here, here's my case for this, right? Coinbase was not naive that this is happening, right? They were prepared for this. They saw the writings on the wall. Uh, the SEC is going for more and more people deeper, deeper into crypto. They came for Kraken not even a month ago. And so they've been prepared for this. They have legal staff. They understand their arguments. They already have their arguments that they're going to take to court, ready to go, packaged on a boat. They they were ready for this. The SEC and Gary Gensler's maniacal behavior is he's Icarusing. He's doing his Icarus moment. He's flying way too close to the sun. He's going against. <laughs> he's, he became the, a main character. He's becoming a main character. Uh He's doing the whole influencer thing. He's like out on Twitter, like trying to get for engagement, Gary the influencer. Uh, He's going up against the most well-capitalized, well-supported, well-constructed organization that is doing everything by the book to the best of their ability. He's going to go to court. The SEC is going to lose. I'm not a lawyer. They're going to lose. Uh, and, And now we're going to get clarity because Coinbase is going to give it for us because they took Gary Gensler to court and Gary Gensler is going to effing lose. And so not only are we going to push back against the SEC manually over the front lines via trench warfare in the court. We also just got the Fed pivot, bro. So like the SEC is is on the def- defense. I, the interest rates are are on the retreat. That's bullish, man. I I look, I agree with I agree with the long-term uh, take. And like so okay, so I don't think that Coinbase is going to do the strategy of let, let's settle with the SEC cuz that would be the the right. a worst possible outcome i think and the easy way out we'll disband we'll just settle we'll pay the fine and we'll move on with our lives i think they'll take it to the to the to the limit to the brink yes and we're going to the supreme court if we can but david this will take years this is the pain of the court system right like we're talking at least two years maybe even longer for this all to get resolved and that's what sucks maybe Mm. gary gensler is just trying to like 
slow things down or something. Right. I don't know right. what his strategy is, but that's the part sucks. Yeah, by, by the time, when is Gary Gensler's term up in 2026 or something? That's what I'm saying. He doesn't care. It'll be yeah. the next person who's uh, yeah. the chair. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully Hester Pierce, you know, 2024, 2025. Hester, please, please uh, hold, hold on, Hester. This Only, is, well, she her term ends in 2025, actually. Yeah, yeah I know. So um, before Gary's. You know, yeah, there, there's lots we could say there. Brian Quintens, a former um, CFTC commissioner himself, says the Wells notices are intended to afford targets an opportunity to defend themselves in writing right. before the charges are filed. That's what you said. The vagueness of this notice deprives Coinbase of that opportunity. It lacks due process. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, this mm -hmm. is Jesse Polak, who we had in the podcast, um, one of the, the key brains behind the, the base chain. I'm proud to work for Coinbase, Base, and Ethereum. We remain committed to updating the global financial system and creating more economic freedom in the world. Well, there you Love go. Love you, Jesse. Love um, you, Jesse. Sushi was hit with a subpoena this week. Anything you want to say about that? Uh, yeah, no, I don't no, I don't know any details above and beyond this title. Uh, I mean, SushiSwap, not too long ago, they posted their like salaries for all of their team members. And so it's kind of indication of like, oh, yeah, there's this, there are people being paid salaries. There's a centralized team here. There's also the Sushi token. So like you can kind of see how this would trigger the ire of the SEC. Um, I don't, I haven't read the details, but yeah, they are hit with a subpoena. Same week. Uh, also, Gary is going after influencers himself. Crypto entrepreneur and celebrity promoters face SEC charges. So Justin mm -hmm. Sun was named. Lindsay Justin Lohan Sun was targeted named. by the SEC, charged by the SEC with securities law violations. So this is like why this is hard. Is like, well, yeah, Justin. I mean, there <laughs> are there are definitely scammers that we like we we want our regulators to kind of um, pay attention mm -hmm. to and and check out. And um, but then they also do this. So right. the double-edged sword, uh, I don't know if it's worth it, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, Ryan, remember uh, East Denver week, was that two or three weeks ago? And I was like, oh, yeah, the SEC's got like all of these subpoenas and, and Wells notices that they're ready to fire. I said, we said, and then we said, um, what was it? Uh, carpet bombing Wells notices. Those are all rumors. Here we are. Well, uh, Coinbase probably felt car carpet bombed by that last, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, by what just happened. Here's mm -hmm. some banker news. Banks are under pressure. The contagion is spreading to Europe. Credit Suisse mm -hmm. um, gone under a shotgun wedding is the CNBC <laughs> title. What's happening here? Uh, UBS has rescued Credit, Credit Suisse. Uh, I haven't been following the story too lately, but Credit Suisse, which has been like a bank hanging by a thread ever since a very, for a very long time, uh, finally getting under duress because of the, all the banking crisis, banking uh, issues that are going on with the whole interest rate phenomenon. Uh, it, UBS is rescuing Credit Suisse. Do you know the details of what that means to actually rescue them? Uh, basically, uh, giving them money, uh, printing the money, gov government funding. Um, oh, and it, sick. Cool. Yeah. Uh, UBS and Credit Suisse, uh, stocks plunged, of course. This is just the contagion spreading beyond like you know, Silvergate, Silicon Valley Bank, mm. and Signature. Is it contagion now, or is it it's generalized just like distressed assets owned by banks? I think, I think I, when I'm talking about maybe. the contagion, I'm talking about that is like the root yeah. cause is these distressed assets that are underwater, mm -hmm. right? All of the treasuries mm -hmm. that are underwater, long dated treasuries underwater on bank balance sheets, uh, not just in the United States, but across the world and in Europe. And who has to come to the rescue? The only person that can, the person with the money printer, the Fed, Treasury, it's the U.S. government, and so that's what they're doing. That's uh, all part of what Arthur Hayes was uh, talking about. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There's also, remember the Barney Frank rumor? 
mm-hmm. there's some more evidence that maybe he was right about Signature Bank. So Barney Frank, this is the, the Frank in Dodd-Frank, a former senator, he was on the board at Signature Bank. He claimed, he alleged that Signature was closed because the FDIC was targeting crypto. That's what he claimed. Uh, and it seems like we got some more confirmation that that could be the case. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was it was basically cut and dry. It was like, uh, we'll acquire everything about Signature Bank, but no one's allowed to acquire any of the crypto companies or like take them as, as clients. Uh, I, I wish I had more cl- more in my brain what that details actually were. So bankless listener, go investigate that. But it was like cut and dry. It's like, yeah, everything else about Signature, all their customers, all their clients, everything that they own is totally fine for acquisition, except for crypto. Well, it's it's actually so the New York Community um, Bank Corp's Flagstar Bank is the bank acquiring Signature Bank, mm-hmm. and that's explicitly what they said. They'll acquire, they'll assume all the cash deposits is all the cash deposits except the crypto company cash yeah. deposits. So it was yeah. this acquisition that was basically they said, yeah, we'll take everything except for crypto. Um, cool. And there's evidence I, maybe that the FDIC ordered that sig- mm-hmm. that the acquirer had to divest all of the crypto business. So um, yeah, that again is not good. And I think the public deserves to know more about it. Speaking of this, David, the last thing we got to cover real quick is this whole Balaji bet. He thinks that the US dollar is going to hyperinflate 90 days. He came out like after last week, uh, we recorded the roll up and he came out with this tweet. I was saying this, uh, we had him on the podcast because mm-hmm. he was saying, saying some very alarming things, basically that this was a bank crisis of epic proportion. This would be the straw that breaks the camel's back, that the US dollar would hyperinflate uh, and um, approach zero, that Bitcoin would hit a million dollars. And he called a time on this, 90 day, and he put a bet out around that. Yeah, um, yeah so we had Balaji on. We've been kind of like tracking down this claim and getting kind of the, you know, the pro side and the con side together. But I, I want to ask you, because we've had a whole bunch of guests on this week. Right. I've been doing kind of these emergency episodes. Give me your reaction to this Balaji take. So he mm-hmm. spent almost two hours with us. Uh, what do you think? Like, do you think he's right? Yeah, people actually, we were getting some flack for even hosting Balaji. People were saying, why are you guys, he's just doing this marketing campaign. He's just trying to promote his bet. Like, don't don't give in to the doomerism. Don't give in to the hyperbole. And I'll push, of course, I'll push back against that. And I'll say that it's important to don't, I, this is Balaji's mistake. He's leading with the bet, which triggers a lot of people. The package, Balaji has a very well, he's not necessarily the most coherent individual, but he's very smart. <laughs> he's got a good message. The package that the message came in, people really did not like. This $1 million Bitcoin bet inside of 90 days, Balaji was, that was probably not the best way to lead with the thing that you are trying to say, although he did make that bet and is a big, grandiose bet. If you actually want to get your learn on, if you actually want to get educated as to what Balaji is trying to say, whether you believe it or not, you need to look past that bet and hear the message that he's trying to say. We did the episode with Arthur Hayes. In my mind, Arthur Hayes' message and Balaji's message are almost synonymous. Uh, difference in time frame, difference in severity, but directionally completely aligned. And we are also going to host counter-arguments, uh, anti anti-doomerism, anti-hyperinflation perspectives. Um, so that is also coming. Um, but since multiple people, Balaji and Arthur Hayes, are pointing towards the same logical conclusion of very significant inflation if the, in the United States dollar, uh, that I implore you, Bankless listener, to look past the perhaps triggering 
90-day, $1 million Bitcoin bet and just take in what methodology is trying to tell you. Uh, and so I don't really have to take beyond that. I'm still in learning mode. Uh, I think we should all still be in learning mode, but that is that is my response. Yeah, you got to listen to both sides of the argument for sure in order to make an informed opinion. If Bology is even 5% right, mm-hmm. like it's a pretty big freaking deal. Yeah. I, I guess my take is like, Bology was more exaggerated. He put a time frame around this. Yeah. Hayes was much more like methodical and like approached this as a like a neutral trader on what he mm-hmm. thought would happen just as he's kind of evaluating the system. And those episodes together formed kind of like a, a package towards understanding what the threat vector might be and the inflationary case. Next, we're having Ben Hunt on, who I think is yeah. going to push back against a whole bunch of that. Uh, mm-hmm. On next week, we're going to have Jim Bianco on as well, mm-hmm. who's going to give us kind of the, the TradFi take. And no I don't quantity Jim Bianco. Yeah. Like, and, and, I understand Jim Bianco. I don't know where we're going to go next with this, but our role in this is to, like like we say all the time, we're on the, the journey with you. We are discovering mm-hmm. this. Uh, we want to um, hear both sides and understand whether it's true and then uh, decide for ourselves and have you decide for yeah. yourself. David, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, we got an update on the Euler hack update. Good news, everyone. Hopefully, things are trending at least in the right direction. We got some money back. Maybe we're getting more. We'll provide the details about that. Immutable and Polygon launching a new uh, Layer 2, a Maddox staking immutable flavored Layer 2. We'll get the details beyond that. And so much more. We got some Bitcoin stuff. We got some IRS stuff, Ryan's favorite subject. We got some CBD stuff. We got some Bankless stuff. So all this news and more as soon as we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Update on the Euler hack. 3,000 Ether has been returned from the exploiter back to the Euler treasury, Euler vault, which is interesting. I did not see that coming, especially after they put that Ether through Tornado Cash. Yeah, like uh, interestingly, why? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, they could be fearful of going to jail. Uh, I made a the claim last week that it was definitely North Korea. It was probably North Korea. Probably definitely. Um, I guess well, not. I guess, I, I, guess yeah. I was wrong on that one. Uh, okay, but- one transaction of 100 Ether was sent to an address of North Korean linked actors, which is confusing. Uh, and then also we have North Korea attempting to fish the exploiter trying to get them to uh, basically sneakily give them their private keys, uh, which is nuts. So like this, this has gotten from a very sad story of a very large exploit to a very confusing story of some money returned. <laughs> I don't know what's going North on. North Korea is involved trying to exploit the exploiter. Uh, and then also, importantly, the big punchline here is that using a lot of this communication is happening inside of Ethereum transactions. So people are writing data into the Ethereum <laughs> transaction. And there was a, was a message from the exploiter to the Euler hacker saying, we want to make this easy on all those affected. No intention of keeping what is not ours. Setting up secure communication. Let's come to an agreement. So what? all of a sudden, the exploiter uh, is growing a conscience or at least no, trying to go to jail. Not, they're definitely, they're, I don't think it's a conscience. I think it's definitely like something ha- is happening in the background. But like, I don't understand. Only 3,000 ETH is just a tiny fraction of the 90,000 something ETH they stole, right? Why were they? I don't know. I This is confusing. I I'm think, waiting for more data to unfold. Yeah. What's so crazy though is that these conversations are all happening on chain and we can like observe the negotiation process. Uh, what a bizarre world we live in. But uh, yeah, so that's happening. Uh, what about the IRS? What are they doing? Uh, they are IRS who formalized tax treatment of NFTs as collectibles similar to other art. So is this guidance? We're getting guidance from I the think IRS. So. Imagine I guess that. So. 
That's kind of cool. Is this bullish, bearish? Ta- you're the tax man. It's what, we would, it's what we would totally expect, right? Um, okay, of course, cool. they, they, the IRS treats NFTs as property, just like they would a baseball card or like art or, you know, a classic car or something like that. It, it totally makes sense. What's, what's interesting about this, though, David, is it's in complete conflict with how the SEC wants to treat tokens and <laughs> NFTs, which is like everything's a security, right? Uh, nice. Well, it can't be a collectible and a security at the same time. So I think unless that, they deem baseball cards to be securities, which yeah. not putting it out of Gary Gensler's. You think he wants that? <laughs> he wants like the Mickey Mantle De- classic depends, thing. Depends on how big the AUM is. If it's big enough, you know. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I, what I would say to the Fed is like just in general, all the Feds like get your story straight. You have different yeah. agencies telling us different, different things, things. Yeah. and then you're mm-hmm. like penalizing us when we don't understand what the rules right. even are uh right. absolutely ridiculous uh yeah. anyway but but good news from the irs cool. uh, some guidance cool. some clarity it's not that hard i don't know how that really materially impacts me but okay <laughs> just keep doing what you were doing <laughs> great <hard>. impacts you. <laughs> uh magic eden launches a marketplace for bitcoin ordinals okay so this was a huge problem in the bitcoin ordinal space we saw all of the vitriol that was pointed at yuga labs for doing the thing where they say hey give us all of your bitcoin we'll custody it run the auction and then give you your bitcoins back yeah um, so now we're starting to get infrastructure around bitcoin ordinals which means that Bitcoin ordinals has further sticking power. So like we're month two point something into the Bitcoin ordinals world, more sticking power, more infrastructure, more roots being grown. It, ordinals, more case for ordinals here to stay. Cautiously optimistic. I'll remain. I don't know. What's your take? <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> I don't really have a take until I own a, uh, look, I was a little slower to the NFT thing too. And uh, I'm going to, I'm just yeah, going to wait your, until someone speaks to me. Doing? Uh, it's not, it's it's down pretty bad, David. Uh, well, it was you know, at zero. I don't appreciate it. How can it be down? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it went up and then it went back down again. Uh, but you know, I'm a forever turtle holder, so. Uh, Dude, every once in a while, I'll see somebody with a turtle PFP. In no, some you won't. Dis- still, random Discord. Yeah, uh. yeah. The Alpha Alpha <laughs> Discord has a, a turtle PFP guy in there, and I'm like, that's Ryan. Hey, look, God they're damn gonna it, Ryan. someday. <laughs> tiny turtles will make a comeback. Um, <laughs> Sad news on the blockchain uptime front. No, not Solana. This time, the Avalanche C chain has stopped producing blocks for over an hour. Uh, this tweet said not yet recovered, but it was recovered, I think, within two hours, I believe. Uh, so the network went down uh, and then is now back up after an update was very quickly written and patched. I think this is the first time or at least the first time in a long time that the Avalanche chain was halted uh, again. I think bankless listeners who have been listening to the weekly roll-up and other podcasts understand our perspectives as what it means for a blockchain to go down. It's not great. Um, do you want to say any more? It's back up though. <laughs> it's hey, back up. there's okay, that. Well, so here's here's what I was thinking about this. Like, oh wow, they got that chain back up really fast. Yeah. And then I was like, well, that just means that they were able to coordinate really, really right, well. Right, right, right. Yeah. But then I'm like, okay, well. But if they went down for a really long time, I would also be saying that that's bad. And so, like, if you're down for a long time, that's bad. If you're down for a short time, that's also bad. I guess I'm just biased against chains that go down in the first place, which has been what I've been saying for yeah, such a long time. I mean, time. it's hard chains to call don't your, go down. Not layer ones. They shouldn't be. Uh, anyway, a regulatory governor, Ron DeSantis, announced legislation to protect Floridians from a federally, federally controlled central bank digital currency. This is interesting, David, just some like, I guess, fracturing in the United States of, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's a powerful governor for sure. I mean, he's in, in the um, candidate pool for uh, president for 2024. 
And he is saying in Florida, we shall not have a central bank digital currency. First of all, I don't know how this works. If Florida is actually able to do that and and be like, you know, we'll take the physical dollar, but we won't take the central bank digital dollar. So I don't know if this is just a, it's kind of cool. Can they do that? Yeah. But can they do this? Right? Like uh, every state, like Florida bucks. I mean, what do you do if you can't be cut off? Can you regulate up as a state? But I think it's, and Balaji would probably say this, it's indicative of um, some fracturing in sure. the various uh, political alignment groups around something like a central bank digital currency. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think the United States will, will, will take that uh, without mm-hmm. a fight, at least some factions of um, politicians will. And I'm, I'm anxious to see this, how this, this plays out for what we'd call free crypto money systems, right? Mm-hmm. Will it be like um, a partisan issue? where like one party is pro crypto and the other party is not, or will it be, I mean, cause I, I see Democrat, Republican, there are wins for both sides on kind of their stated platforms anyway. But uh, I, I wonder if one party or the other will kind of take the lead on advocating for, uh, for crypto and what their intents might be. It's interesting to not see. I'm holding my breath for the Democrats. Yeah. Well, you know what? Some of their Elizabeth, leaders... Elizabeth Warren's too high up in the power struggle and she is way too anti-crypto. Very anti-crypto, sadly. Um, David, we got some cool stuff going on at Bankless. One, uh, just cool. an update yep. about our, the Green Pill podcast that we come out with. What's this? Uh, Bankless HQ, the Bankless you're listening to, puts out too much content, so much content that we uh, are creating uh, the Green Pill, which we typically host on our YouTube channel. Green Pill is getting its own YouTube channel. So if you are a Green Pill fan, you got your own YouTube channel. We're managing this one on behalf of Kevin Iwaki. Uh, so it, definitely go subscribe to that Green Pill YouTube channel if you are a Green Pill fan. If you don't know what Green Pill is and you like the idea of regenerative economics, global coordination, how to prevent global coordination failures, or overall are a fan of Kevin Iwaki, perhaps listen to the Green Pill. But either way, there's a brand new YouTube channel called the Green Pill Podcast. Go subscribe. There you go. You can find that on the RSS as well. Uh, David, this mm-hmm. is pretty cool, man. This is a yeah. jacket I saw you sporting in the pictures anyway, because I don't go to conferences, yeah. as you know, at ETH Denver. This is, what's this jacket called? Oh, gosh. A Sujikan? Su- oh, I'm butchering this name. Look at uh, this, man. Yeah. GQ level. This is David <laughs> wear, sporting the jacket. Shout out Look- to uh, Dave Krugman for the uh, for being the photographer here. Yeah, so if you were at ETH Denver, you saw me probably rocking this jacket. I'm biased here, but I will claim that it was the coolest piece of apparel at East Denver. <laughs> uh, and so this is being made by Metafactory in partnership with Metafactory uh, for people that want to buy it. It is extremely rare. There is only 60 being made in production. Uh, and it is literally, Ryan, the coolest thing, uh, the coolest piece of clothing that I own. Uh, these pictures don't show it, but it is also reversible. Uh, and so if you want to not be wearing crypto, you just want it to be blank, you can reverse it. And it's just a normal black and yellow uh, uh, silk jacket. Uh, emphasis on it is the coolest thing that I own. People can buy this now? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? It, it is available now. Yes. You, you know what this has to me? Have you ever seen that movie, Ryan Gosling movie, Drive? Yeah. Uh, no, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. It's the crypto version. Mm-hmm. Don't don't turn into a psycho and start killing all the people like he does. But uh, I haven't seen the movie. Thanks for the spoiler. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Good movie though. Um, all right, Immutable and Polygon Labs in releases as well. They team up to expand Web three gaming. I know we did an episode on this. Any uh, high mm-hmm. level you want to say? Uh, yeah. So brand new zk evm 
It is run by Polygon, Maddox staking to secure the chain. But IMX from Immutable is the gas token. It is also where Immutable does all of its BD. There are layer threes that are available to go on this new ZKEVM layer two. It's a brand new layer two called the Immutable ZKEVM operated by Polygon. Uh, so this is like a team up? Like uh, It's a team up. Okay, it's so a team up. Immutable yeah. was on uh, Starkware Tech, and so you're saying was, have they moved? And it still is. That, okay. it, that chain is still up and running, and now they are doing a generalized ZKEVM with Polygon technology with the IMX as the gas token. That's cool. That's a big win for Polygon, I guess. Uh, yes. Yeah, very interesting alliance here. Very um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll yeah, see how that yeah. plays out. I, um, I know there's a whole episode disclaimer, on this. Ryan and I are invested, investors in IMX, and Ryan is an advisor to Polygon. Uh, very true. David, Microsoft is building a crypto wallet in their Edge browser. Uh, I haven't used the you know Windows browser in forever, Microsoft mm-hmm. browser in, in a while, but like they're getting in the crypto wallet it's, game. It's a big freaking it's deal, right? The default browser of Microsoft is getting a crypto wallet. Partnership with Consensus, I believe, uh, to offer swaps between Ether, UniDAI, USDC, and USDT. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy. The default browser for Microsoft coming with a crypto wallet. Even I think though, it's, it's I don't know how many people give a care about Edge. Yeah. But some people use it, yeah. I'm sure. There's some edge lords out there. Um <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sismo. Wow. wow. <laughs> what do we got? Uh Sismo ZK Connect. This is about identity mm-hmm. in crypto in Web3. Mm-hmm. Um they yeah, have so, just released something. Right. So Sismo, it's ZK identity for your on-chain footprint, if you will. So yes. I have many, many wallets. I have PoApps in some wallet. I have different PoApps in other wallets. I have my CryptoPunk in a third wallet. I don't want all of those wallets to be connected via transactions, but I do have my identity spread across all of these wallets. ZK Connect allows you to sign ZK badges, ZK proofs, to attest to your ownership of stuff and things and PoApps or activities. Without disclosing your address? Without disclosing your address. Ah, that's really cool. So, Aggregate all of your uh, wallets and all of the identity properties of your wallets together yeah. without linking them. Also, without disclosing your those wallets to anyone that you need to prove what your stuff is. Uh, and so they are launching ZK. This is Sismo. They are launching uh, ZK Connect uh, to get this done. That's a really uh, good use so. case because, you know, the only mm-hmm. way I do it is I funnel through a centralized exchange and then it doesn't right. really maintain my privacy. It just makes it makes it not public. The exchange right. knows what you're not very bankless of your brother. But what else do I do? I, yeah. Give me bankless not, tools, David. I'll go bankless, please. What What more can well, I do? Well, I got this thing called a ZK Connect out of system for you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate your help on that. Um, David, mm-hmm. you were doing an event in uh, mm-hmm. Dominican Republic. This is what it is. You guys are burning stocks down there or something? What, what's no, going on? no. This was in the Pleaserdawa offices in oh, New York. Okay. But we were, we were watching it last night. Uh, so last night, Pleaser Dow in their Pleaser house, which is their native Web3 auction house, this burned so weird, dude. three different pairs of uni socks. I think we're coming up to a total of $160,000. Uh, why did they do this? Because they are taking the ashes of these uni socks and putting them into uni blocks which is these little cubes. Wow. So you're going to have like a necklace with 
cubes of ashes of uni socks. And there are, I think, 2,000 of them. Uh, and so they were sold in this Web3 auction house. Hayden Adams showed up to talk about uh, one of the pairs that was burned was Hayden Adams' actual uni socks, the ones that he wore. <laughs> he said he doesn't wear anymore because they just soaked up all of his stink. <laughs> that is so great. I, should, is this, is I this, shit you not. Is this peak crypto culture? I don't even know what this is. I don't know what to okay. do with this. Why are these socks it, the, worth 160,000 freaking dollars? Because they're associated with Uniswap. They were dropped at the same time as the Uniswap token. Also, Mike Damaris is uh, just the big meme propagator of Unisocks. He's, so he's uh, a big fan of... One of the founders of the Rainbow, Rainbow Wallet. Yep. Rainbow Wallet, yeah. And so he owned, he bought a bunch of Unisocks NFT tokens. This on a bonding curve. He's a uh, socks you, influencer. You get, you, you get an NFT if you burn <laughs> the token. If you burn one token, you get to claim the socks. Yeah. Uh, because there's only 2,000 of them, and because it was the first of its kind, these stocks ended up going for tens of thousands of dollars. He also propagated the meme, uh, redeem you cowards, as in like take your ERC20 token, burn it, claim your uni socks so you can have your $30,000 pair of socks and wear them. Uh, but the idea is like it, it pumps up the price of the uni socks uh, because it's a fun little like <laughs> okay. economic game. Anyways, uh, Pleaser House is the whole production quality of this thing was off the charts. Yeah. They had this host. Uh, Ali, Ali Weiss, who I actually went to college with, uh, just roundabout fun fact, uh, doing this like show of this, like this web three auction house, this native crypto culture auction house. And dude, so many people were in the chat participating. Like Mike was there. Hayden was there. Frog monkey from formerly bankless. Now Uniswap fame was there. Will price was there. Uh, uh it was like a who's who of Ethereum DeFi. It was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It, the production was insane, dude. It was really, really. I'm really. I'm also a member of Pleaser Dow, so I'm biased. Uh, but I thought it, I thought they killed it. There you go, burning socks. I don't know why, but they're doing it. Um, <laughs> Warpcast. All right, this is mm -hmm. Farcaster, Dan Romero's protocol. We had him on the podcast. Fantastic. It's been on mobile as an app, mm -hmm. um, but now there's a web version, which is pretty awesome. Go check that out. Uh, decentralized social networks is mm -hmm. going to be a big theme over the next few years, we think. And um, that is one of the leading ones. Also, Ledger is combining efforts, connectivity, to build a, a wallet. Is that what I'm uh, looking at, David? A browser extension. So browser they have entered extension. the browser extension game. Everyone's getting a browser extension these days. MetaMask, of course. Coinbase Wallet has a browser extension. Uh, GameStop has a browser extension now. Zerion has a browser extension. Now Ledger has a browser extension. I know of one more wallet that's coming with a browser extension. Everyone wants a browser extension these days. Yeah, um, that's great. I'll take more. More competition, sure. good. Ledger can sure. certainly do it well. If they got the, the hardware behind yep. it, it'd be really great, great to, um, mm -hmm. to, to connect directly into that. Um, Blockworks has released a grant farm. So this is a crypto grant directory. So if yeah. you're looking to see what um, grants are available, you can go to blockworks.co slash grants and go check that out. Anything more on this? It's like, it's like a grant aggregator. Every single, not every single, many, many protocols have grants out there. Um, this is Grant Farm from Blockworks. It's just a place to aggregate all of the various grants that are out there. So really cool resource. Nice shot, Blockworks. Yeah. Let's talk about the big raises this week. This is the first one, David, um, in a triple A title set gaming raise mm -hmm. here. What are we looking at? Yeah, so if uh, Bankless listeners are familiar with EVE Online, the creators of EVE Online, which is apparently called CCP Games, has raised $40 million from A16Z to build a blockchain-based MMORPG set within the universe of EVE Online. No way, uh, that's big, yes. man. Like EVE Very is big. one of the OG MMO. And then MMORPGs, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah with, with like real simulated economies. And wow. so like it's a natural fit 
to put the Eve economy on a blockchain. Uh, and so I think people are very, very excited about this. Even yeah. Polenia, who's very hard to please these days, has said positive things about this. So when you know that you please Polenia, <laughs> who's got the highest bar in crypto of legitimacy, you know you're onto something. So that's pretty cool. What does Polenia say about it? Uh, that it actually makes sense. It's using blockchain tech that actually makes some sense. Now, which the, is one of, the thing with a like a great game, AAA game, is it takes some time to build. So this is a, a funding big announcement. Big it doesn't mean it's releasing anytime right. soon. We could be like three mm-hmm. three years plus away. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you don't have to wait three years to get a job in crypto, do you, David? Because nice. we have the Bankless jobs board here. I'm showing mm-hmm. it, bankless.palette.com. Let me read a few. A marketing manager at Rise, a sales development representative. These are non-technical at Rise. Uniswap Labs needs a senior product designer, an application That's security cool. engineer, and a senior mobile engineer. There's a whole bunch more. You can read about them on the Bankless job boards. And get you that know, there's your alpha in the bankless jobs board. We had the, there was a Uniswap mobile web dev yeah. job board yeah. months ago before they introduced the unit. There's a, there's alpha on the bankless jobs board. Yeah, get to see who's hiring and get that in your mm-hmm. inbox, guys. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up, David. What are we in for? Questions from the nation. We got two different questions from the nation. The differences between layer threes on optimism and opt- arbitrum. We got a Bitcoin versus Ethereum take from Fiscantes. Uh, and then we got Ryan and I are bullish on as well as uh, a really good meme of the week. Not actually a meme, still really funny. But all of that stuff and more is coming right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Questions from the nation. This is a question for David. Hello, David. Could you help me understand (laughs) how hardware wallets work with browser wallets? Oh, we're just talking about that. For example, Mm -hmm. I was able to connect my ledger to MetaMask yesterday. How does this work? How does MetaMask know or store the private key from my ledger to function in this way? That is from Atad Zhu. Uh, I think I pronounced their name correctly from the Bankless Nation Discord. David, uh, how do you... Browsers and hardware wallets interact. Uh, browser extensions interact. What, yep. what, tell us about that. Yeah, super important question. Okay, why do we have hardware wallets in the first place? Hardware wallets, the actual physical hardware of a hardware wallet, will never allow the private key to leave its uh, hardware. Leave its hardware. It is a secure enclave. It cannot leave. You don't even know the private key to your wallet because you are a liability because you are human. So hardware wallets are designed to never let the private key out. You have your seed phrase and you can derive your private key from that, but your your hardware wallet will not allow your private key to escape. That is the point. A uh, browser extension wallet or a software wallet is like a virtual hardware wallet, but it is stored on the computer. So there is a risk dependency there, especially if your computer is connected to the internet. And so your MetaMask, your browser extension, it's like a virtual hardware wallet. It tries to contain it's the private key inside of the software, but by the nature of because it's on the computer, it is not as contained as a hardware wallet. Now you can plug your ledger into MetaMask or now into Ledger's own browser extension and others. Uh, and that allows MetaMask to connect to all the DeFi apps that are out there. So MetaMask is kind of like a distribution connection service to all the DeFi apps that allows your hardware wallet to connect to these things. But it doesn't have the uh, hardware wallet level security. Um, and so does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like that makes sense. Totally. Makes sense to me. And uh, cool. you know, one general rule is if you're going long-term cold storage, mm. that's a hardware wallet. Um, if you're right. more active, then uh, maybe a browser right. extension is okay for those private keys. And smaller sums in the browser extension, larger right. sums in the cold storage where it's more secure. Right. 
Uh, MetaMask will actually allow you to extract your private key. So in MetaMask, you can actually go and tell MetaMask, hey, show me my private key. And then you can go and copy that private key and load it up into a different wallet. Uh, in my head, I've done this a few times for different circumstances. When I've extracted my private key out of MetaMask, I know that I have done that for that particular wallet. And so I flag it in my brain saying like, I've now exposed this private key to the internet. And it is now no longer as secure as another MetaMask wallet that I haven't done that in, which is also not as secure as an actual hardware wallet. And a hardware wallet won't even let you do that at all in the first place. So there's always like different levels of private key security um, and you should understand them in your head. Totally. Uh, here's a question from Jax on the dev. What's the difference between building on an L3 on Arbitrum versus Optimism? Heard a lot about the OP stack in the roadmap, but wasn't aware that Arbitrum had that option. Yeah, Arbitrum has that option as of recently. This is in tandem with the Arbitrum token drop is that they are launching their layer three surface area. Uh, and so this is new to Arbitrum. What is different is that you can take the Arbitrum code and you can deploy our, another Arbitrum chain on top of the Arbitrum layer two freely and independently. But if you deploy an Arbitrum chain that settles directly to Ethereum, you need to get DAO approval of that per the open source, per the license of the Arbitrum code. Optimism does not have that restriction. Optimism is like, like yo, please fork our code base. Please copy it. Cambrian explosion of OP stack chains left and right. Pew, 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 pew. OP stack chains everywhere. No restrictions on being able to fork and deploy an OP stack chain. So the main difference between these two things, other than the differences between the code, although Optimism and Arbitrum are trying to largely become the same thing, which is the Ethereum synonymous layer two. The main difference is the license and kind of the philosophy behind these different chains. Arbitrum is kind of like more commercial, I'll say, and our optimism is more indie, more developer indie. Uh, you got you to gotta get, get DAO approval to fork the Arbitrum code. Optimism wants you to fork their code as much as possible. Uh, and that's kind of the, the second order effects of what that means are, that could be a whole entire episode, but that's kind of the gist of it. Here we go. Some takes of the week uh, from Fiscantes is talking mm -hmm. about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. This looked like mm -hmm. AI generated uh, graphics, but one looks like this uh, kind of stoic picture of mm -hmm. uh i don't know a greek some, philosopher some ancient philosopher yeah kind of reminds me of uh the da vinci man in the circle and yeah. he's like balanced a little bit like that it's renaissance yeah. it's principles mm -hmm. it's like deep it's foundational it's immutable mm -hmm. this is like you know ancient. ancient ancient i think is a great word yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is the ai depiction of ethereum what, what how do you describe this image yeah, one part human, one part AI, definitely on the frontier. A little bit of a Cyberpunk's uh, 2077, I think, is in here. Definitely like one part computer, uh, definitely futurist, um, definitely uh, young as well, I would say. Rather than ancient, I would say say young uh, and not yet fully manifested. I would also say that. Yeah. I just like the, I like the artists. Art, artists, we, we talk about the future. Artists, Ryan are always on the future more than the rest of the world. And so I like the actual like uh, idea of illustrating what these things are via art. Um, the, sorry for the podcast listeners that aren't seeing these visuals. Yeah, uh, but you can check them out on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. This is a take from Anthony Sassano. Creating a better money is not enough. We need to create a better financial system that serves everyone in a fair, transparent, and decentralized way. That's Ethereum. So a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I guess maybe traction on the Bitcoin narrative side of things. And Anthony mm -hmm. is saying, hey, um, it's not enough to have a better money. We need a, a whole mm -hmm. banking system that is bankless that is associated with that money. I'd probably mm -hmm. echo that sentiment. Yes, uh, what's your take on this? Right. 
Uh, I think this is coming in response to my whole Bitcoin for war and Ethereum for peace. Oh, he was talking uh, to you? I, yeah. So, so he hit me up and he was like, dude, you are so wrong about that. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know you, you think that, Anthony. And I think he's right. I think he's right. I think the case for Ethereum also for war is also very strong. Uh, and I think Anthony would say that like Ethereum is the, like, like you, Ryan, Ethereum is the best suited blockchain for a wartime environment based off its raw fundamentals. And he, Anthony, refuses to get caught up in like narrative war games and will always go back to the fundamentals very, very quickly. Uh, and so uh, Anthony and others, I think, are, are asking for an Ethereum for wartime type of narrative to emerge. And so that's what this is. Yeah. Um, I just still always think that the Bitcoiners will do this better because they'll have like a Bitcoin and guns type of approach to it. And like right. what's uh, well, Ethereum also, they and don't have They don't have like layer twos and NFTs and like DeFi stuff to get distracted by. Yeah. And so what do they have their time and energy to, to spend on? Narrative. Mean like Bitcoin narrative. innovates on narratives. Written Ethereum word. innovates with code. Yeah. Uh, all right, David, uh, it's that point in the episode. I got to ask you, what are you bullish about this week? Ryan, I'm just bullish on crypto, man. Uh, SEC is going to break. In the same way Doquan broke, the SEC is going to break. They went too far, too fast, too high, flew too, too far to the sun. F, uh, the Fed is signaling a pivot. The end of rising interest rates is here. We have the bank term funding program, which is where we start to issue money once again. Where did this last bull market come from? COVID stimmies. The, BF, the BFTP is another stimmy source. So we have... The powers that be retreating, even though they're coming in very hot, they're also ready to retreat. So that's bullish. Uh, again, we are faced with a banking crisis. And I've said this before, but it's been a while, so I'll say it again. Crypto is slowly and slowly becoming ready to accept mainstream society. Mainstream society is becoming ready to accept crypto. We are meeting in the middle closer and closer and closer. And so this is happening along with this banking crisis. People are understanding this. Uh, we are getting our layer twos. We have two ZK EVMs, Ryan, launching in the next five days. Uh, that is the way that we make crypto things look and feel like fintech. Uh, the time, it seems to be crypto's time. Uh, it's been crypto's time for a while. I will say it always is crypto's time. But there's just more and more evidence that we are shaping up to be just, what am I bullish on? Crypto. Like it's, it, you can see the writing on the wall. Yeah, I um, I'll, I'll echo some of that. I think the banks are falling apart, and we're seeing mm -hmm. in the midst of that um, layer two shipping. And let, let's remember what layer twos are and what Ethereum is. Is this promises to be a bankless financial system? It is the antidote for the bank failures. It's you know trustless, verifiable code where you can see all of the assets, what secures them, and everyone can be their own bank. You can go bankless. Uh, the infrastructure hasn't been ready up to this point. This is the broadband moment of building that banking infrastructure, and it's coming at such an interesting time as the banks in the traditional world are, are having like trouble, and this new banking system is becoming available for them. Arbitrum token, ZK Sync, Era, Arbitrum token, Polygon, a ZK EVM, I mean, like all this in the last uh, seven days, and like I guess you know a couple days from now too. Um, one other take I'll, I'll I'll maybe share is I think that this. Bitcoin narrative that probably sounds crazy to some of you listeners, which is like, you know, the banks are dead. Bitcoin is the only way out. Get to the lifeboats. Quick, quick, quick. Um, that probably sounds hyperbolic to many listeners. And uh, I understand that. Um, I also understand like past runs where um, that narrative is kind of the seed to understanding like in order mm -hmm. to in order to I still believe that Bitcoin is very much a gateway drug to Ethereum because 
in order to actually understand the concept of digital scarcity and digital money and money over internet protocol IP, like Bitcoin is a core asset to actually understand. And as the banks are failing and then the narrative, however shrill it might seem to you, is um, propagating via, via Bitcoiners, I think what comes next is we have a season of that. We might have like a Bitcoin run up on that narrative. And then what comes next is this epic flight to a new trustless financial system on Ethereum. And I think we might have a Bitcoin narrative like run for a while, but that gets everyone exposed to this concept of digital scarcity and digital money. And then that will open the gate for them to be gateway drugged into Ethereum and layer two as a new bankless money system that they can now call home. Oh, Wells Fargo does it, like has failed me. The unit of account has <laughs> inflated. Uh, well, I have this browser extension Maybe that I can Bitcoiners use. Maybe those aren't that crazy. Right. It just opens the door. So um, I understand like sometimes you're like, oh, the Bitcoiners are crazy. Like it sounds crazy. It's happening. And maybe they're gleeful at this. But I think that the net result is we get that wave, that narrative wave will wash over us. It will prime the pump to get people ready for the next wave, which is be your own bank. Take responsibility mm -hmm. of your private keys and the, the property rights that that uh, is entailed to you. And look, we got layer twos ready to receive the world, hopefully. Well, they're not ready yet, but they're getting a lot closer. And that's what I'm bullish on this week. I'm also bullish. Wow. I'm generally wow. bullish. Wow. Uh, meme of the week, David, what are we looking at meme here? Meme of the week. This is the first meme of the week I think I think that we've had that's uh, actually not a meme. It's an uh, accidental so meme. This is, this is an accidental meme. This is just in Belgium to require all cryptocurrency ads to state the only guarantee in crypto is risk. <laughs> Simultaneously, we are having a banking crisis. And apparently in Belgium, if you are a crypto ad, you have to disclaim that the only guarantee in crypto is risk that is hilarious crypto assets are doing better than like the banking sector index if you take away the big banks like mm, only only guarantee i actually I will kind of... also guarantee you bankless listener in addition to risk you will also have fun <laughs> that's you right. might lose money but you will have fun losing <laughs> you it. might there, there there could be risk certainly i actually i like that the only guarantee in crypto is risk like i would wear that on a t-shirt honestly uh, guys, we have a moment. The only guarantee in life is risk. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, you're guaranteed to have risk, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. um, guys, we have a moment of zen coming up. Um, I think you'll appreciate this one. Uh, David liked it. I was worried he, he'd be I like, liked it. not like my dad humor, it. but like it's, it's there's there's for three everyone. people in this in this scene, so know that, uh, and you might want to watch the YouTube. All right, go check that out. Um, otherwise, I'll give the risks and disclaimers, guys. Thank you for joining us. Crypto is risky. Maybe I'll put it like the Belgic ad. The only guarantee in crypto is risk. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. About the 20 bucks you owe me. Oh, yeah. Well, I only got 10, so here's 10, and I owe you 10. Thanks. Hey, Mo, you owe me 20. Well, here's 10, and I'll owe you 10. Uh-uh, you owe me 20. Here's 10, I owe you 10. Here's the 10, I owe you. Here's the 10, I owe you. Here's the 10, I owe you. Good, now we're all even. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>